0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, March 12, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Federal statutes have bugs in them. Federal criminal statutes are no different. Crimes of honest services fraud, mail fraud, wire fraud, and others often mean no victims, no intent, and a chilling effect on standard legal business practices. Cato Institute adjunct scholar Marie Griffin is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. She comments.
1: For most of uh, Western common law history, uh, we have reserved criminal sanctions uh, for only people that deserve society's harshest condemnation for willingly violating the social contract. And so what we call the blameworthiness principle was just the principle in the law that you had to be truly blameworthy. You had to have a guilty mind as well as committing a guilty act in order to be held criminally liable under the law. Uh, If you didn't meet that standard, you might be civilly liable. for example, that's the context of a lawsuit, but we wouldn't impose criminal sanctions on you. Uh, Throughout the 20th century, though, in the United States, we have experienced a steady erosion of this traditional limiting principle in the criminal law. We have increasingly uh, criminalized inadvertent violations, not only of arcane, vague federal statutes, but also of regulations. And uh, this is a problem because it means that ordinary business people you know, ordinary citizens who are going about their business not intending to violate a law can nonetheless find themselves being criminally prosecuted.
0: Why has this occurred, do you suspect?
1: Um, Well, it it accompanied the rise of the regulatory state in the 20th century. Um, I believe that, uh, you know, as uh, commercial enterprises grew larger and larger and uh, transportation uh, and mass manufacturing, uh, there was some concern that uh, an individual mistake... Uh, or a regulatory violations, say of the Food Drug and Cosmetic Act could cause a lot of harm and so uh, they wanted to address that worry and there was a tendency to fall back on criminal sanctions. but uh, studies showed that civil sanctions can actually be more effective in, in in promoting compliance with these regulations and then you don't run the risk of jailing people who are not negligent and who really don't deserve it.
0: Might it have been that lawmakers at that time simply wanted to put the onus of that type of harm on people make them more concerned about possibly creating those types of harms
1: Oh, I think that that's exactly right. Um, but of course, there are multiple ways that you can do that. You can do that through uh, regulatory uh, action, uh, having site visits and cooperative relationships with regulators. You can do that through civil justice, um, through uh, fines and the filing of civil complaints for violation of regulation, or you can do it through the criminal justice system. Now, certainly, willful and knowing endangerments. You know, if you if you have a person who is recklessly disregarded. Uh, an important safety violation, and as a result, people get hurt, sure, that person should be criminally liable. Absolutely. What we're talking about here is the criminalization of inadvertent violations that are not even the result of negligent behavior. And that's what's been on the rise in the 20th century. And so as an enforcement technique, it has this serious unintended side effect of criminalizing ordinary people who are going about their business and are not blameworthy in any traditional way.
0: If state of mind is the relevant... Thing here that is that some there is some intent here. What do what have lawmakers been doing to just eliminate that?
1: Well, that's a good question. Um, I basically reviewed a lot of federal criminal statutes and determined that Congress uh, makes three bad choices when it drafts new criminal laws that cause non-blameworthy individuals to be criminally charged. Uh, The first is just lack of explicit mens rea language. Uh, Some criminal um, laws use words like willfully, knowingly, purposely to indicate what level of mens rea or, you know, guilty intent is required for conviction under the law. However, other criminal statutes just leave these words out. Now, The old rule was that the Supreme Court would assume that Congress intended uh, for criminal intent to be required for convictions under the criminal law. But that changed in the mid-20th century, and now the Supreme Court will often find that no criminal intent whatsoever is required in order for a person to face jail time. Uh, The second mistake they make is the use of vague and ambiguous language, Um, and as I know the Cato Institute has done a lot of good work on the honest services fraud statute, uh, I'll mention that uh, that's a wonderful example. There are three Supreme Court cases up this year uh, that are determining the constitutionality of that statute, which criminalizes any scheme or artifice to defraud another of the intangible right to honest services. No one knows what it means. Um, The traditional principle of the criminal law was that the ordinary person ought to be able to read the law and figure out what was against it. Uh, We have wandered very far from that in our federal criminal law, and so it's important to reestablish some limits there. The third thing that Congress does wrong when they're drafting these statutes, in my view, is that they criminalize vast swaths of the Code of Federal Regulations now. Unlike statutes, individual regulations don't have to be voted on by Congress, Um, and they're many, many times larger the Code of Federal Regulations as a whole is than the United States Code as a whole, much less the United States Criminal Code. And it changes all the time. So following the activity of Congress is not going to be enough to know when there is a change in you know, a minute and technocratic regulation. Lots of experts don't know what these regulations mean. And yet, if you make an honest misjudgment about the meaning of a regulation that is covered by one of these statutes that criminalizes violations, you can face jail time for that mistake.
0: Where have run-of-the-mill business practices been implicated by some of the statutes that you're talking about?
1: Well, there are some interesting case studies that I came across in my research. Um, Kirk Ellison is the owner, or was the owner, I should say, of a small outdoor uh, touring company called, I think, the Lazy Double R Outfitters, and uh, he ran the business with maybe a couple of employees and the help from some of his relatives, extended family, and he would book tourists on backpacking trips in groups of two, three, or four. And he had a special use permit uh, to take these backpackers or horseback riders onto national park lands. Now, when he was out of the state uh, attempting to buy a new horse in a neighboring state, his daughter, who was volunteering with the family business, uh, booked a trip for three tourists into the park, and that trip was to a part of the park that was not covered by the special use permit. She also didn't file something called a trip log, which is a you know, it's her piece of paper report on the trip that you're supposed to file. So because of those mistakes, Kirk Ellison himself, not even his daughter, was charged with three misdemeanors. Now, he could have gotten jail time, but fortunately, the judge was sympathetic, exercised his discretion, and only gave Mr. Ellison a fine. Unfortunately, because of his misdemeanor convictions, he couldn't get a special use permit renewed, and he had to shut down his business.
0: How should lawmakers address these vast swaths of code that need to be uh, fixed?
1: Well, there are things that Congress can do, and there are also things that courts can do. Um, for Congress, it's simple. Uh, just include mens rea language. Um, in new criminal laws. And in my view, refrain from attaching criminal violations, uh, criminal penalties, rather, to violations of the Code of Federal Regulations, opt for civil enforcement in these cases. Uh, The courts can reinvigorate something called the rule of lenity, which is a rule of statutory interpretation in criminal cases, which is followed by the wayside in recent decades. The rule basically states that if a criminal statute is susceptible to two different interpretations, the court is going to take the narrower view of the statute, in line with the traditional principle that uh, a person should be able to know when he's doing something illegal and when he isn't. Uh, the rule of lenity has not been invoked uh, nearly as often as it should have been, in my view, in recent decades, and so by reinvigorating that, this uh, Supreme Court and the lower courts can help to impose more discipline on Congress.
0: Marie Griffin is author of a New Manhattan Institute report on the flaws in federal statutes that punish standard business practices. She's also a Cato Institute adjunct scholar. You can read more on overcriminalization at Cato.org.